Welcome to part two of the Jin series. I am your host, Kadim Sirojuddin. Today's focus, I'm going to start with summarizing some of the points um, from part one. Today, we're going to focus on the macro manifestation of the Jin cross culturally and historically. We're going to review the key concept of the unseen, ways that the Jin are identified cross culturally. This includes things like the evil eye, black magic, soothsayers, uh, and other items that we'll briefly discuss today. In part three, inshallah, I'm going to focus on the micro-manifestation. In other words, that episode will be more about personal psychology and um, an intro to Islamic psychology, if you will, because this is a crucial component of personal development. And uh, if you like what you hear from these episodes, inshallah, you can check out some of the live courses I'll be offering uh, in the new year, 2021. Uh, so we'll check that out, newhumanconsulting.com. To begin, in the general sense, jen means that which is concealed from a human being sense, right, from our perspective, i.e. it's things, beings, or forces which cannot normally be perceived by man um, but have nevertheless an objective reality, whether concrete or abstract of their own. This is very important because this is part of Iman. And as we know, the Quran refers often to this realm, which is beyond the reach of human perception, called Al-Ghayb. And in Surah Al-Baqarah, at the beginning of the Quran, it says this book is a guidance for those who accept Al-Ghayb or who believe in the Ghayb. In other words, there's realms that are beyond your direct human perception. It's important also to reflect on the concept of that term jinn has several distinct meanings beyond this general one. A connotation which includes satans, satanic forces, shayateen, as well as angels, um, and it could be anything that's concealed from our direct senses. Quran states often that the jinn were created out of a fire of scorching winds in chapter 15 verse 27, or out of a confusing or chaotic flame of fire, marijin minar in 5515 or simply out of smokeless fire. Now, when you think about fire, guys, fire is what? It gives you things that are beautiful and necessary and can do incredible things. I mean, if it wasn't for fire, we wouldn't be where we are today with everything we do as far as energy production and so forth, right? But fire is also something that can be erratic. You know, you can't always predict its behavior. It can, it's, it's destroying by nature but it also gives off light and warmth. It can sanitize and it can also destroy or burn and cause, and cause massive amounts of harm. Sometimes fires can ignite suddenly. In California, we're very well aware of that. Uh, just like somebody can be ignited suddenly with their anger or rage. It's like, whoa, they're on fire all of a sudden. Fire can destroy whatever is in its path. And just like the jinn, humans, we want to control fire. We want to control energy. We want to make it predictable. But sometimes it gets out of hand, like the forest fires in California. And the evil jinn, specifically, they not only want to blaze through what is good and destroy what is good or leading to truth, they also are the arsonist. They want to start the fires, right? They don't wait for you to always start the fire in yourself. They will also ignite the fire for you and enjoy everything while it burns. Alfred told Batman and, and about the Joker, he said, look, some people just enjoy the world burning down. You know, they just want to watch the world burn. There's no real reason why they do anything other than they love seeing the opposite of fitra, 
You know, they love seeing evil and what's ugly and what's destructive take place rather than the fitra, your natural disposition, which is we want what is true, good, and beautiful. The jinn, as we learned, have very extraordinary powers, but they also have limits to their power, right? They're not their own gods or anything like that. They're still servants, subjects, slaves of Allah Azza wa Jal. We were mentioned in the last uh, podcast, Surah Al-Jinn, where the jinn came together. They heard the Quran that the Prophet was reciting. Um, and I forgot to mention last time, but in fact, another verse which talks about the same context in the Quran mentions that that same group of jinn who gathered and huddled around the Prophet to hear the divine word said, you know, when they went back to their people, their jinn people, and, and said, we heard, you know, the Prophet Muhammad's revelation, and we haven't heard a revelation of this since the time of Moses, or it confirms what we believe in from the message of Moses. So the Quran also tells us that these jinn specifically, the same ones in Surah Al-Jinn, were ones that were following the Islam of Musa up until that point. And so they heard the Quran to confirm it. And it's really interesting that Surah, guys, go read that Surah because the jinn is giving us their own dialogue about their own false perceptions and understandings of themselves and humankind, because these were good jinn talking. They also mention in there how the jinn have done different things in human history. For example, they have spread false lies or spoken incorrectly or improperly about Allah. So they are full of falsehood, they're great at lying, they're great at deceit, they're great at, uh, they're masters of creating illusions. You know, so you make people see and think and feel things that isn't actually happening. They also possess superior speed and strength, and even from our vantage point, invisibility, right? So we can't see them because they're hidden, but they can appear to us. So in a sense, that is invisible to us until they are. This could also mean they harnessed that illusion or uh, misperception, given a state of primitive humankind in the past where maybe jinn may have manifested, it's easy that they could see and interpret that they are ghosts and goblins and demons and different gods and goddesses and supernatural this and my ancestors because again your a jinn could show up as your you know your past grandfather or whatever right and it's like oh my god this is a creator you follow the dajjalic system and the dajjal himself the prophet warned us of the same thing is he's going to be able to do things that seem magical miraculous even and that's how a lot of people are going to follow this creature and say you must be god you how can you do these things if unless you're god right it's like what is that all about because clearly if any human being sees a jinn and a jinn can create different forms and and do you know pretty much magical things from the human perspective it's like well what is this is this a god is it a demon is it you know a spirit is it an alien what what is going on here it's clearly not me right that's the bottom line so these um Jinn can have taken advantage of this leverage, right? And it's not a coincidence that in so many world cultures, you have concepts of gods and goddesses, different forms, different textures. Some of them even look scary. You know, you look at some of the gods and goddesses in India and South America. You have themes of, you know, darker, blue, snake, reptilian, you know, creatures and gods and goddesses, you know, and some of these gods and goddesses personified dark energy. Right, whether it's murder or lust or these types of things, right? So it could be a jinn that used their status or leverage over a group of humans in history. And there are humans who actually worship jinns. They believed they were gods. And the gods and the jinns, 
you know, basically deceive them and they got stuff out of that. So these traditions exist, right? That's why perhaps Allah kept sending prophets because the jinn also were messing with human worldview and understanding of finding the divine, right? Because that's the main reason why we're here is to consciously, willingly submit ourselves to the divine after a quest of knowledge and understanding that the divine is real and that there is a intimacy meant to be had there with your creator. The jinn, we learned from Surah Al-Jinn that they would try to eavesdrop in the heavens, they can travel outside of the earth, and we know in the Sunnah that there are jinn that can fly, there are jinn that reside on the land, there are jinn that live in the water, there are jinn that uh, travel in the air. So there's different forms, shapes, sizes, powers, even colors. Some traditions talk about the jinn have different kingdoms. Next, we talked about Sulaiman, the Prophet Sulaiman, and how he actually had dominion over the jinn. And that he had technologies, right? Um, ability to produce products, materials, architectural, military technologies. Possibly he had spacecraft. He had power over the wind. I mean, subhanAllah, he was an amazing king. Just like Allah said, he had a kingdom like nobody else. And he had power over the jinn. So the jinn basically were under his command. And remember people, the modern mind thinks that like everything we've ever done today, as far as advancements and technology and so forth, it's like it's all new. Some of it is and some of it isn't, right? Because the way a lot of ancient theorists see things is that the ancients actually were smarter than us. They actually had more technology than us. They understood reality better than us. We've become more dajalic right? More one-dimensional, more surface, more sensory. Everything's about this and immediate sensory and life that's concrete. We don't really have a, at least in the West, as much of a um, focus on the ghayb, the unseen. So you're missing the root of the tree when you ignore the ghayb, right? It's like everyone's just looking at the branches, trying to understand the branches of existence. But and, and uh, they don't realize that the roots is where you're going to get a lot of information too. And that's the ghayb. There's one way to understand that. So technology and miracles, right? It's like we may call them miracles, but for them, it was just technology that Allah blessed them with, for example, right? And again, just because you don't have some kind of hardware doesn't mean you're not able to still manipulate or alter the laws of cause and effect of nature. And that's by definition what a miracle is, right? Uh, it's when Allah interrupts the predictable laws of cause and effect in order to show and manifest the truth of the messenger or prophet through this miracle. It's like, oh, you don't believe who I am? Watch this, you know? And then boom, it's like, whoa, was that magic? Or was that real? did that really just happen? Which is interesting because we know ma magic in the false sense is about creating illusions and appearances, right? Impressions, confusion, manipulation, right? And that's all it is. It's taking advantage of the almost gullibility, trustworthy, need for predictability, human nature, right? That's how good magicians succeed at what they do. But if you learn some of those tricks, you're like, oh my God, that is so simple. And now that you know it, it's easier for you to sometimes see what how the person hides that card in their sleeve or puts this or that. Right. And sometimes you still can't see it because they're just really good at doing it. And it's very quick. So that's the point is when things happen so quickly. So this could be one of the ways that jinn were able to get humans to worship them falsely and convince them they were godlike 
creatures or beings because they clearly could do a lot of things and manifest and shapeshift, become, you know, giants or take different forms very quickly. So that's going to make any human, you know, go, okay, you're clearly more powerful than me and maybe I should worship you because humans are designed to worship by nature. Humans are worshipers, which means we will identify something that we love and value more than anything else and then dedicate service, commitment, love, adoration, and obedience to that thing, right? Whatever it is to accomplish, whether it's a person or a goal. That's by definition the meaning of worship. Now I'm going to start today part two on this concept of the Quran referring to Al-Ghayb, which is the realm beyond human perception or senses. And how this connects to the importance of our Iman as well as this topic of jinn. Now all of us know the Fatiha. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Rabb means Lord or Sustainer or Nourisher of al Alamin. Alama means a sign or an indicator. Something that tells you that something else exists without that thing being directly in front of you. So if I, we're driving on the highway, we see a sign for Los Angeles, right? But we're three hours away. That sign in Arabic is literally alama. It's a sign indicating to us that Los Angeles is coming in 300 miles or 200 miles or whatever. So we're not there yet. We don't have direct sensory experience of it, but it's an objectively real place. Right? It's going to be there when we get there. It's not something fake. So with this, Allah is telling us, Rabb al-Alameen, so the Lord of all the worlds. Alameen, by the way, is plural, which is interesting. Because some Muslims, unfortunately, may fall into silly uh, human-centric view of the universe. Like we're the only planet that exists or the only creatures that exist. Like it's all for us. And even if it was, fine. Right? Like God created everything just for humans to exist here. But turns out it may not be the case according to the Quran. And the Quran also alludes to Allah created Saba Samawat, seven universes or realms. What does that mean? Right? And some of the scholars say the universe we're aware of, the one we're in, is either the first one of those universes or it is considered all the dunya, and then there's seven universes above that. Right? So who knows? But the Prophet described, if you compare the kursi of Allah, which is um, an ayat al-kursi, its translation is like a chair, this creation of kursi of Allah. If you compare this to all that exists, the seven universes and so forth, it's as if you compare, a, you throw an, a ring, you know, like a ring you wear on your finger, into the open desert. Right? That's like the universes, everything that exists, compared to just Allah's kursi. Right? Which is a different creation. It's not even Allah. It's just another creation to manifest Allah's majesty and glory. So the scope, guys, that the Quran gives us of the cosmos is massive. We are just one paragraph of an infinite book of Allah's creation. This is what my understanding is. So we've got to get out of this human-centric view of the universe because we don't know how accurate it is. All we do know that's accurate is the central character of our story and existence is the story of Bani Adam as it relates to the earth and water as it relates to the cosmos, right? Despite what else is out there or if there's other things in other universes. It's like, so what? I saw a poster once where there's an atheist's commentary on, you know, the 
belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and it shows like a picture of, you know, the Milky Way galaxy. And it says, you are here, you know, we're in the Milky Way. So it shows, of course, we're this tiny thing in this infinite space poster, right? And the quote says, uh, you know, what a waste of real estate or how wasteful, you know, in other words, why would God make all this just for a couple of, you know, billions of uh, over-evolved apes to, to exist on a marble or whatever? It's like, well, yeah, it's a waste of real estate compared to the petty human. But to an angel or even a jinn, the earth might just be the size of a marble to them. So to them, they're like, yeah, this is just like one of many of God's marbles that's floating around just in this field, this universe, right? So it all depends on your perspective. But even so, you should think about it more as Allah already told us in the Qur'an, the Qur'an chapter 16 in Surah An-Nahl, verse 8, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the English translation, it says, he, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, created horses and mules and donkeys for you to ride and as an adornment. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the same verse, he says, and he creates that which you do not know. Or he created other things that you will not have knowledge of or have no knowledge of. Okay. Also in Ayat al-Kursi, connecting it to Kursi, Allah says, وَلَيُحِيْتُونَ بِشَيْءٍ مِنْ عِلْمِهِ إِلَّا بِمَشَعْ you're only going to grasp or gain or encompass whatever a sliver or percentage of knowledge Allah gives you, right? And, and that means anything. Allah's knowledge is the one that's complete and perfect. So he gives you little, you know, glimpses of knowledge, essentially. That's what it is compared to God's knowledge, if that. So we are always going to be more ignorant than we are knowledgeable about anything. Uh, and Allah tells us there's things I created that you won't, you don't even know about and you never will, right? And that could include you don't know about it right now. You won't know about it until later. Because if you also think about a lot of the verses in the Quran, many of the meanings, let's say, around the universe or things, you know, about the cosmos, these ayats are really for the people of the modern age when you think about it. Because an Arabian in 7th century won't understand concepts of orbits and planets and universes expanding and time and space and you know this subhanallah when you think about it so given that we know very little about our own planet and even what lives in the ocean or our own you know human selves we have to also be open to the concept that since there are many worlds that Allah created and many things he told us you're never going to know of or it's outside of your knowledge and reach and so forth and Allah tells us about the very spirit and soul that animates and gives you and me life. You have very little knowledge about this and you'll never really understand this because it's not sensory or corporal in the same way that science understands what we understand in relation to matter, right, in the world. So one of the first macro manifestations of the jinn is this concept of the occult. And often people think occult means secret society, but it actually has the same meaning of the word jinn, which is a hidden society. You know, what's secretive about it is they don't share, you know, all the details or the processes or procedures, rituals, beliefs, even within their own groups, right? There's a hierarchy. So occult means a hidden society. And what's fascinating is things like the Illuminati, for example, are hidden in plain sight, as they say put it in your face like yeah illuminati devil worshippers look we're in movies we're in films we're in music ha 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 almost like to minimize it right but that's just a psychological tactic you know to minimize the danger or the threat of something and to even try to explain it away 
Because if in the end, if you reduce tension or anxiety in people, or at least the masses, people aren't gonna, they don't, people don't generally want to be courageous or deal with things that are threatening, obviously, right? We would rather want to believe everything is okay and it doesn't really exist because that's just easier for us to eat our mac and cheese at night, right? Let's take a short break. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen. Join our growing Patreon community at patreon.com slash coffee with Kareem. Support the podcast. In general, occults that have been connected to, let's say, certain elitisms or academic elitisms or political or whatever, there's there tends to be really strange rituals, uh, rites of passage, you know, things like sacrifices or, you know, very dark demonic stuff. You know, taking it from the atheist perspective, none of this stuff is real. You know, God and angels and jinn and why do people do these things, right? Ameri- you know, we're talking even just like people who are American presidents, you know, people who are very powerful in the world engage in certain occultish groups and ceremonies, and there's purposes to these things. So what's going on there, right? It's not, again, it's not made up. There's a lot of documentation and research these days around different occult groups. Uh, so that's different from cults, like some, you know, weird cult in the middle of nowhere where some guy convinces a hundred people that he's a pineapple god or whatever. That's different, you know, and uh, that could be a different podcast. But occult societies are things that generally, they typically do have some connection with the demonic forces, okay? Because again, if it's a good righteous group, you know, like moms against drunk drivers or, you know, let's feed the world or let's, you know, come up with ways for the world to have clean water or whatever. It's like, you don't need to be a cult for that. You know, why? There's nothing to be hidden about that. If we want to hide something, then it means there's something we want to hide for greater purposes. Islam, like other religions, Abrahamic religions, have also warned against the use of sorcery, sorcerers, fortune tellers, soothsayers, and so forth. These things are actually quite common in many cultures. You know, you have a soothsayer or somebody who can you know, read your future and this and that. And look, you know, gimmick, you know, fake sales, um, you know, just doing this kind of for fun in my, you know, city or on the beach or whatever, like, you know, that's that could just be a person who's good at reading people. You know, they don't necessarily mean they're always working with some um, darker force, okay? Um, but there are some that do. And they're not usually people, you know, making, uh, putting themselves out there uh, in the same fashion as like a call a psychic hotline, you know, these are sometimes people that are very hard to find or You know, they're not out in the public, but they're known to be able to have very powerful sorcery fortune-telling um, They could even sometimes do spells or magic on people for you uh, But there's always a big hefty price to pay and sometimes it's, it has nothing to do with money, right? Sometimes it's like shady stuff, 
you know? Like, kill this animal, do this with the blood, and do that, or do this with the holy, you know, scripture, do this and X, Y, and Z, or do this to a person. There's stuff like that does exist. Um, and the Prophet told us that jinn have access to information and can observe and know what's going on in our realm. So these shayateen are able to communicate information to these soothsayers and fortune tellers and so forth. This is why some people get really, you know, amazed by somebody who's like, wow, like you got, you know so much about me, like they must be the real deal. Because remember, the shayateen, the Dajjalic system, you know, I'm going to tie that in because that's going to connect in today in part three's theme, the Dajjal. It's all about making you accept falsehood for truth and not seeing truth for falsehood, right? Furthermore, I mean, let's be honest, guys. Most people who go to a soothsayer or a fortune teller, there's always something happening in their life, right? Nobody goes to somebody for help, whether it's a psychic or a therapist or a, you know, a friend, unless there's something serious going on. And what are the most important things to humans? It always has to do with money, with health, with love, with family and relationships, right? Pretty much. So every time you call a psychic hotline, they're always going to say, oh, you're struggling with, and they'll usually try to read a few things about the person, right? If a person sounds, let's say, a lot more self, low self-esteem, they could jump right away to, oh, this is about love, you know, because most people are very low when their heart is broken. So it's like, I see in the clouds that you have, your heart is is torn right now. And they're like, oh my God, how do you know that? I just broke up with my boyfriend like two, two minutes ago. Yeah, well, because there's common themes in human beings, right? So that's not super sophisticated, but there's that other darker stuff that does exist. And uh, it's best, of course, to, uh, stay away from people like this or stay away from people that go to people like this, even if they are so-called, you know, believers or they say, you know, they, they go to the same worship center as you or it's a, even a relative, but you know they're involved in things like this. This stuff is always shady. There's always a higher chance you're dealing with a darker energy than you are a good one because good jinn don't do stuff like that. <laughs> they don't cast spells or, um, you know, give you fortunes about things because they know that's only Allah is the holder of the unseen, you follow? And so really what, what uh, jinn do is they're not giving you real knowledge about the future. They don't have knowledge about the future. What they do is they access points about your past and they use that to hook you to believe what they say. So the human is already more vulnerable, which means they're more gullible and they could believe more, especially if it you know, helps them feel better about whatever their problem is. And so the jinn use this. So the prophet said, they take one truth and mix it with nine lies. So it's like they only give you 10% truth. That's what hooks you. And then the rest, they just, you know, make it up or tell you what you want to hear, or they just, you know, take a stab at predicting and you just walk away being like, oh my God, I know what's going to happen now. It's like, no, you don't. So that's why these things can happen. And that's why some of us may even know a person who's like, no, they went to us, you know, fortune teller and they were, they were spot on and this and that. It's like, well, look, you know, I know people and I've even had a dream or two where it, it was a prophecy, you know, something I dreamt something and it actually came true. So that doesn't make me a soothsayer or a fortune teller or anything like that. So it's just... Sometimes Allah gives people gifts. Sometimes people are lying about a gift that they don't actually have. And sometimes it's 
just dark energy messing with you and using those mechanisms. So again, I'm just here to educate all of us on the different ways that the jinn phenomena um, influence us uh, in ways that are harmful, and we have to be aware of them. So this connects us now to sihr. Sihr, best translation, let's say, is black magic or witchcraft, you know, dark sorcery and so forth. Here's what's interesting, guys. This is this theme. We talked about al-ghayb earlier, the unseen realm. We talked about jan, jinn, which means something that is hidden or something veiled by the darkness, something that is quote-unquote invisible. Occult means something also hidden. Sihr, guess what, guys? It means also something that is hidden, <laughs> something that is concealed, secretive, and so forth. That witchcraft and these types of things, why is it the word itself linguistically is connected to this? Because people do these things in secretive manners, and they do these things in dark ways and in veiled places and in dark settings and energies and with dark forces and so forth, okay? Um, Seher, also the purpose of it is to create illusions, to confuse, to harm, to deceive people. And it's doing this through the eyes, right? It's like deceiving you through your perceptive frameworks, okay? Uh, and it causes people to do things or react to what they think is objective reality in those particular, you know, consequential ways, right? So there's consequential effects for how you perceive and feel about something. And so if I can mess with how you perceive something and make it look super real, that's gonna give you super real feelings and actions that follow, you see? So that's how these things can work. So for example, if somebody does a, you know, a spell or casts, uh, you know, ties knots, there's different ways you can cast spells from my understanding. But one common one that's referred to in the Quran is the tying of knots. So there's knots that are tied while there's certain things being chanted and certain procedures taken in order for you to call upon this energy and infuse, you know, this uh, thing of knots. So this is kind of like what would they call voodoo dolls, you know, that's a form of some kind of an object where you're using it to um, place the spell or, you know, transfer this energy into the seen world through this object, right, of like the voodoo doll or, you know, a necklace of knots or tied uh, strings of ropes of knots. Sometimes people have used hair to tie the knots. And so there's, there's weird ways that that happens here. So these spells are cast in order to disrupt and deceive and cause harm. So if there's a spell being cast on a person to perceive you know, damaging, unhealthy, threatening things from one spouse, they're going to react very negatively towards the spouse. And that's going to ripple effect and cause a divorce or damage or the family to fall apart, right? Um, there could also be more, if you, again, the more powerful the jinn you work with, the more powerful the spell can be, right? So you can go from like causing anxiety, right? Unnes extreme and unnecessary anxiety to, you know, st making it very difficult for somebody to physically be able to perform sexually, even though they were fine before that, right? And there's no medical explanation. It's like, so that's a very powerful uh, spell, let's say, to be cast. And that requires a very powerful genie to work with. So the more powerful and destructive things you do or can do as a sorcerer or witch or whatever, the higher the price you pay and the deeper and darker you are in it with whatever you need to be, right, to do this stuff. So what's fascinating is Sulaiman Musa the Prophet there may be others, but those three come to mind. They have references in all their stories in the Quran to 
something around magic, right? We have the Pharaoh, he had his magicians, and one of the proofs that Musa was the real deal was the magicians themselves were like, yo, we know what we're doing, and what he's doing is the real deal, right? It's a miracle. It's not an illusion. Miracles are things that alter reality, but it's actually objectively happening. That's the difference, right? Magic is when it's the illusion. It's only the sensory perception received in your brain that makes you think that what's happening out there is actually happening when it's not. That's the power of that. Miracle or mojiza, as, as we discussed, is when Allah alters the cause and effect predictable sequence of nature to prove or manifest that he is truly the creator of nature and order and he can stop it and alter it and magnify it all he wants to show the creatures who the creator is and that the messenger or prophet on his behalf is speaking the truth. So you find this with Suleiman, magic. There's a test with magic and the angels bring magic or the power to, let's say, um, ruffle these textures and veils of reality and the forces of reality, the laws of reality. And this was part of Suleiman's kingdom and great vast empire of knowledge as well. Remember, he had vast knowledge and technology and unveiling of existence that was very unique. And one of them was he got this. And this is why Solomon is connected to so many things in especially around magic and these types of folklores, right, as well, because he inherited the bo those books or got these books as the test. And there's people after those books, there's people who already know something about those books or have uh, knowledge of the what's in those books, okay? Musa also it defeated the, the magicians. And what's interesting is the first Egyptians to accept Islam or at least to be martyred in Musa's story are the two magicians, because they were like, this is la ilaha illallah. They basically testified. And Pharaoh got his narcissism and arrogance didn't allow that. So he had them crucified right there. And then we actually have an incident with the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, with black magic. Uh, in fact, Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas, the last two chapters of the Quran, connected to a context where, where this happened. So the story goes that the Prophet وسلم, during a approximately six month duration, you know, had lost his hair. Uh, and again, one of his miracles was he never looked old. All his hair fell off. So this was very strange, of course. He would have the experience that this was something that he had done, and then turns out he didn't do it. And he felt like he was withering away, as the Prophet described. So the Prophet ﷺ had a dream while this was happening. And uh, in the dream, two angels came to him. And one of them sat at his head, and the other sat at his feet. The angel who sat at his head asked, what is wrong with the man? The second angel responded, a spell of black magic was cast on him. Angels revealed to him what was happening, that he had a spell cast on him, it was done by this person, and that uh, this item that had all these knots in it was found in a specific well in a city. The Messenger of Allah woke up and he said, Oh Aisha, do you not think that this is from Allah to inform me of the cause of my illness? He then sent Ali ibn Abi Talib and Al-Zubayr and Amr ibn Yasir, who drained the water of that well. They lifted the stone and got the spadics out and found therein some of the hair of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, as well as a few teeth from his comb. They also found with it a string with 11 knots knitted with needles. Allah then revealed the surah, Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas. With each verse that the Messenger of Allah recited, he read one verse, one knot was untied. 
and the Prophet ﷺ felt some lightness. So each knot that came undone, he got a little lighter or felt a little more, you know, regained. When the last knot was untied, the Prophet ﷺ got up as if he was released from a cord to which he was tied up. Jibreel ﷺ kept saying, In the name of Allah, I cast this incantation on you to protect you from anything that might harm you and that Allah heals you from the resentful envier and the evil eye. Those around him said, O Messenger of Allah should we not head toward that evil person and kill him? He said, As for me, Allah has cured me, and I dislike causing evil to other people. End of the narration there. So the Prophet is showing his forbearance and rahmah. This is the context or as min asbab and nuzul for Surah Al-Faraq and Surah An-Nas. So this is powerful, guys, because this is actually um, the reasons why these two surahs were revealed. These two surahs also have references to evil and jinn forces and getting protection from them. And subhanAllah, it even happened to the Prophet Muhammad Wasallam. And these were the surahs that each verse he read, it untied a knot. So these surahs you should always read whenever possible. And the sunnah is to read it three times like the Prophet did. Uh, Surah Al-Ikhlas, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ فَلَقِ النَّاسِ Three times in, in the dawn and at dusk. Or three times whenever. You know, all three surahs. Or read each surah once. And it's important to read these surahs, let's say, on your children, on yourselves. The Prophet used to also read these surahs and then blow on his palms and his wrists and then he would rub his palms and arms all over his body. Like... These types of practices and ceremonies are drawing on the pure energy force and protection of the angels, the malaika, and Allah And this is what we want, right? And this is what we need if we accept that there is an opposing team playing and using similar forces, right? So in a sense, the Quran and the prophetic guidance is the counterforce or the medicine to cure the uh, afflictions and diseases of black magic and envy and darkness. So when you are more engaged with the Quran, and especially these surahs, as well as Ayat al-Kursi, and we'll talk more about these uh, tips in part three. And the last point of macro manifestation that I wanted to cover perhaps was the connection with modern uh, UFOs, um, you know, secret military space programs, I mean, this is all very fascinating stuff, too. And again, I don't know what's really going on. But around World War II, the Nazi regime, um, how they were able to learn and know very advanced technologies very quickly. And where else did they get kind of the balls to assume they're just going to take over the whole planet, right? I mean, they must have had some, you know, despite having a nutcase leader, right? They also must have had some confidence, you know, on some level. And of course, they were very powerful in their own way as a military. What's here's what's wild, you know, number one, that is one of the most evil things we've ever seen humans do what the Nazis did. And it was certainly very shaitanic, right? Nonetheless, it wasn't just some nutcase arrogant, uh, you know, psychopath, but the shaitanic drive behind all these things. The Nazis were also really into occult secret societies and trying to find things like, you know, ancient um, manuscripts or ancient um, relics. And some people from the military, both sides, U.S., German and alike, have actually gone on the record to say 
the Nazis were getting help from extraterrestrials. They had, you know, manuscripts, they had directions, they had instructions, they even had them show up and give them spacecrafts. So apparently the Nazis had what we call UFOs. They had flying saucers, they had they had anti-gravity based, you know, crafts, things that were we weren't tapping into in the typical military. This actually is documented. They took all the German uh, scientists, researchers after World War II. They all went to the USA, most of them. And guess what? Three months later, we make the nuclear atomic bomb with Oppenheimer. May 7th, 1945, Germany surrenders. So the Allied forces, USA, United Kingdom, France, were fighting the Germans from the Western Front and the Soviet Union were fighting the Germans from the Eastern Front. When the Germans surrendered May 7th, 1945, originally coined Operation Overcast and then became Operation Paperclip, the purpose of this operation was to scour and grab roughly about 1,600 German scientists and their families to be brought to the United States. And the British also got you know their number of, of scientists and families. Now, it's interesting. It's like, these guys are not going on trial. They're not going to be punished. No, they're just taken in with their families and put to work for commercial and military reasons, they say. Okay? You can find this again. On, it's all documented, guys. So they take them in, right? Three months later, on July 16th, 1945, the first nuclear bomb is tested in the United States. One perspective is the Allied uh, team wanted these people, like the USA and UK, wanted the German scientists and researchers so that they can now fight against the Soviets, who just helped them beat the, the Nazis, by the way. Now we're going to at, at it with each other. And within a few years, the Cold War between USA, the British, and mostly USA against the Soviet Union starts. And today, guess who has the most nuclear bombs? USA and Soviet Union and Britain are the three that probably access the most of the German Nazi remnants. This, this was the biggest transition point of our quote-unquote technological energy uh, revolution. Right. Just boom. Now what? You know, whoa, we can do that. Uh, and there's also references, by the way, going to Jin and cultural manifestations of, you know, aircraft or spacecraft in world religions. Right. You find this in ancient India, ancient Egypt, South America. You find it again, perhaps with some Abrahamic prophets, Suleiman. Yeah, the prophet himself had Burak and went and traveled through the universes. I mean, that's a, considered a type of spacecraft in such a fashion where it bends the laws that we currently understand. I mean, how else can you travel that much and come back? The like prophet said when he went in Asra al-Maraj, when he returned to his sleeping place, like his bed was still warm, right? So time and space is completely altered. And we know that the speed of light, actually, if you're traveling in the speed of light, it means that everything else slows down, right, for you. There's trillions of dollars of undocumented spending by the U.S. military that presidents have tried to find out what's going on and they were pushed away from secret programs within the U.S. government's funding. So who knows what's going on? But they've got books on this. They have podcasts on this. They have documentaries on this, you know. Uh, so I'm just sharing what else is out there. I have no idea how it all connects. But from an Islamic lens... I just see jinn all the way through, right? Ancient and modern. Again, technology can go 
in and out of the Earth's atmosphere, ultra-dimensional, can appear, do different things. They have access to ways they can destroy humans and enemies in very sophisticated and powerful ways. Why wouldn't the military be interested in that? It's just interesting that all of a sudden there was an ex literally an explosion of knowledge around very deadly technology to harm human beings and harm existence and creation right at the same time. It also exploded, right? <laughs> so just something to reflect on. And again, Allah knows best. It's not necessarily just the soothsayer, you know, in the village of, you know, some country somewhere, right? That the jinn are going to, that's how what they use to go against us. That's my point, is it's possible that the jinn are using much more sophisticated ways to distort, damage, deviate, and um, cause danger for humanity and this planet. You never know. So right now, we literally have nine countries that could wipe out the planet or wipe out massive amounts of the planet with one button. And everybody's obsessed with Snapchat and TikTok. But hey, priorities are priorities, right? And certainly life isn't just the bubbly pop culture zone that they suck all masses into so that you don't think beyond what you need to consume next and what your next Instagram post has to do for you and how many likes you have or don't have today versus that person or this girl or that guy. So we got to recognize, we got to step back once in a while and also wonder, why is it so easy to get lost in very few things in life? What else is going on around us? Because as Surat al-Nas tells us, we ask Allah to protect us from the shayateen of jinn and men. So they both exist and some of them collaborate. And they do so through hidden, secretive, keep it in the dark, you know, hidden in plain sight mechanisms. So things to be aware of. That ends our part two for today. Uh, inshallah, you also benefited. There's, of course, many other topics to cover around the subject, but I really just wanted to see this as a more of a thorough intro of this series. In part three, inshallah, we're going to get more into practical tools that we can draw upon through understanding further the psycho-emotional, psycho-spiritual reality of how the jinn can perhaps influence human beings. And we will share some tools and strategies from the Qur'an as well as Islamic psychology to help us all get fortified and counter uh, these forces that are out there and make sure that we stay sharp and batter up for the right team as much as possible. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you tune in. Join us at patreon.com slash coffee with Kareem and support this podcast. Have a lovely day, everybody.